Magazines of Monsters, episode 26. My Greatest Adventure, number 80, from 1963. Man, you come right out of a comic book. We're back with another episode of the show. So, when you want to learn about something, what do you do? You bring in an expert on that subject. So, that's exactly what I did today. So, my guest today is the man behind podcasts, Waiting for Doom, DC OCD, and other shows. And we will talk about those later as well. But I wanted to bring him in so we could talk some Doom Patrol. So I brought Mr. Paul Hicks to the show. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Billy. It's um, always a pleasure to talk about the Doom Patrol. And uh, lovely to guest on your show, of course. I know. I've heard you on many shows. And my favorite one of all is definitely Midnight the Podcasting Hour. I think if anybody hasn't listened to that, you and Ryan did some really, really fun interesting good coverage of uh, night force you know a book that's kind of under the radar a lot but that's that's like oh i love that you guys did such a spectacular job on that oh thank you very kind yeah that was a lot of fun but yeah doom patrol i've only ever had one issue of doom patrol and i read it and i kind of thought um okay and it was <laughs> a little tough for me to get into because i only had the one issue and i never got around to find any collections but you know you have talked about uh many a Doom Patrol comic and television show on your show, Waiting for Doom. So I thought, well, I would love to, you know, get into some Doom Patrol. And I thought, all right, where do you start? I thought at the beginning, and it's my greatest adventure, number 80 from 1963. And I'm reading this on the DC app, which is awesome, by the way. I love having that app. It was, uh, you know, one of these things I hadn't thought of at all until I wanted to read a couple of issues for a certain podcast episode that I didn't have. And I thought, well, I'll throw out eight bucks and grab it for the month and you know, if it's not that great at the end of the month, then the heck with it. But I still am subscribing because I think it's a really good app. I think you have it too, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, despite not having it available in my country, I've got around that by having a VPN and getting a subscription as a, a pretending to be an American. So <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That Hey, however you can get it done. But yeah, the only issue I've run into with the app is... I guess my iPad is a little old, and uh, with the latest iOS update, the app won't work on my iPad because they're saying I can't update to the latest iOS, and I need that oh. latest version of iOS. I'm like, okay, you jerks, but I can still go on through the browser. It's just not quite as slick, you know, rolling through the app you know, yeah. as it is on the browser. But, hey, it still works, so that's fine <laughs> by me. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to talk about that uh, comic I mentioned, My Greatest Adventure number 80. Uh, and this was a, an uh, on-sale date is April 1963. It covered a June 1963. Um, and it's a uh, cover is by Bruno Primiani. Now, I've seen some of his work before, but uh, I think it's a pretty good cover. Uh, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, it's really good. Uh, you've got, uh, well, there's only really three uh, adventuring Doom Patrollers on the cover. So there's uh, Larry Trainer, Cliff Steele, and Rita Farr. So that's uh, Negative Man, Robot Man, and Elastigirl. Um, but they're versing one of their, uh, well, he's a very, very old man uh, called General <laughs> Immortus, um, dresses as a general, looks very miserable, um, and basically he's attacking Larry's energy form on the cover. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm struck by how um, Bruno does a really good, um, you know, rendering of people and robots, and particularly there's a, something a little bit Mike Mignola about the cover, I find. Mm, yeah, especially I get that vibe, especially when you look at Robot Man. Absolutely. Yeah, very good use of shadows. Like I think he was, um, you know, quite an artist, uh, and probably a lot better than some of the contemporaries of his. His. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on that one. But I did notice that, like, when you look up the issue online, 
And when I look at it on the app here, you know, the, the app is a little brighter and more popping. But the, you know, the issue when you can see, you know, uh, scans of it online, just on like, you know, websites looking up information and stuff like that. I like it a little bit better because it's not quite as like bright. So it's a little, I don't say a little bit darker, but a little more sinister. But yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, General Immortus looks like he uh, belongs in a nursing home, not uh, <laughs> out terrorizing people. <laughs> For sure. He's got Elmer in energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, Arnold Drake, you know, is uh, credited as the creator and writer of Doom Patrol. But then in researching this, too, I didn't realize at some point uh, Bob Haney was brought on to, you know, do some scripting as well. Did you know about that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how the creators are listed on the TV show. Um, Bob Haney, Mm. I think, did some brainstorming with them for the ideas of the show, so uh, of the comic. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to know what his contribution was, but... um, yeah, I, it's interesting that he's been uh, enshrined as one of the creators now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I like Haney. He's insane. And that's the, <laughs> yeah. kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of writers I enjoy reading most are ones that, you know, yeah, they can write a story, but uh, the story itself. But sometimes when you think about it, like, while it might not make a ton of sense, it was a lot of fun to read. And I get done reading and think, oh, that was crazy. And that was fun. And I love it. That's, that's Bob Haney right there. <laughs> mm. But but um yeah so you were saying you know doom patrol about the characters on the cover well one character that's not on the cover uh is the chief niles calder so uh what can you tell me about him yeah so yeah quite a storied history so he basically brings the team together he's like um the the charlie of the team as it were um, <laughs> monitors everyone but he had a lot to do with um you know like he was actually the surgeon who turned Robot Man from a, a regular guy who uh, barely survived an accident into uh, a brain inside a robot body. Um, so, and and not DC's first Robot Man, as it were. Um, yeah, but he, yeah, he's he's kind of a manipulator. But over the years, different writers have played with that a lot more. Um, so he's gone right into the villain realm as you go uh, through the team's history at times so um and they played with that in the tv show too that he you know he his ability to bring the team together and manipulate them became very very blurry and you know he's gone from you know complete villain at some points so wow. yeah yeah but um you know it, it's the idea of you know he's in a wheelchair and that's usually uh, um something that's not good but he because of his brain he's um you know a wonderful asset to the team and able to you know coordinate their missions and uh yeah he actually has a little robot um camera on the front of robot man that uh, can see in here so you know gives them instructions on the in the field as it were yeah so when you go to the first page here <clears throat> you get a little uh, caption box and it reads you are about to experience one of the strangest meetings ever convened a joining of the four most unusual people on earth Sit quietly in the shadows of this clandestine conference and observe it well. From its <laughs> far from it shall soon be born the Doom Patrol, and it's a really cool splash page. I really like it. You have this guy we just you know described there, the chief. Uh, he's you know there's a light there showing him in the forefront, and then there's uh, three uh, figures in the shadows in the back. And he says you know he these three people are victims of cruel and fantastic fates, but you know we're going to be a team. So uh, I really like that splash page. Yeah, I mean, it what do you think? gives a real air of mystery to the team and what's happening and who, you know, who are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, they kind of are questioning him and, you know, they're a bit, uh, you know, 
they're a bit shy in the fact that they're like, you know, we've had some terrible things happen to us, so we don't want to, you know, we just want to be left alone, basically. And he calls them quitters and outcasts. And then, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of say to him, like, yeah, what do you know about it? And he, you know, rolls back from under the table and says, you know, I know a lot about, you know, being an outcast. And he shows that he's, you know, in a wheelchair. And then uh, he slowly, one by one, goes through their origins. And he starts out with uh, Rita Farr, you know, Elastigirl, like you had said about. And, you know, I had never known the origins of these uh these characters so this was really fun for me to check out you know you see her on the set of a movie she's like a stunt person and uh a stunt kind of you know goes slightly awry and uh she goes uh, down over a a waterfall and ends up in this area that i'm not sure how they explain what this is if this is almost like it, it almost looks like you know geysers but uh there's some kind of chemical gases coming out of them and they affect her and that's uh how she uh, obtains her powers yeah, and uh, it's interesting that her powers, right from the get-go, are she can get very large or very small, um, and with equivalent strength as she's very large, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting because she—I mean, uh, she gets described as a freak throughout the series, and it's like um, she still, you know, looks great and is perfectly normal uh, looking, but she can get large and small, and you know that's the extent of it. And they played with. Um, that a lot in other I mean other writers have come in and basically accentuated the freakishness so made it hard for her to maintain her her form um so you know particularly in the tv show she turns all blobby when she's not concentrating um wow. yeah so she's more akin to you know the Steve McQueen blob um when she's not uh maintaining her focus but uh you know but even when she's normal looking I think Jeff Johns was the one who introduced the idea that she um Actually, no, it's Mark Wade. Mark Wade um, introduced the idea that when she's uh, in her, you know, regular girl form, she doesn't have, like, regular texture skin or anything like that. So she's more like, um, you know, a simulacrum of a, a human than an actual human. So, mm. yeah. Well, that's interesting. So that's, um, yeah, she's, yeah. So, I mean, they've done work to make it uh, more obvious why she feels like she's an outcast and can't, you know, fit into regular society as they went on. They fleshed her out, pardon the pun there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then next up is Larry Trainer, a.k.a. Negative Man. And the first time I saw him, I was like, I thought the unknown soldier was, you know, running around in one of these <laughs> stories here because he's all bandaged up and everything. And, you know, the, the chief goes into you know, his origin, too, is, you know, being like a test pilot. And, you know, the, the, the plane gets out of control and, you know, it eventually crashes. And the chief kind of says about how, you know, this accident and I, I think i'm trying to think he says how does he say he's uh he traveled through subjected to unknown wave belts and now he has a negative self that comes out of his body um but it has to return in 60 seconds so i kind of thought yeah that was a trophy figure they used a lot back then i think marvel you know with thor's hammer you know if he didn't have the hammer in his hand for 60 seconds he turned back into don blake so i thought yeah yeah, it certainly drives a lot of uh, the instances in these early stories, the, the 60 second deadline. And it's even in the first issue, you know, critically important. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, if they only touch on that once in a while, I think it's it's a good thing for them to use. But if it's used, you know, issue after issue after issue, it gets old really quick. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's like Aquaman being out of water in the early stories. <laughs> yes good point yeah so uh lastly we have cliff Steele. you know uh he uh is robot man and he is a daredevil in search of excitement 
and uh, he's in a race car accident and only his brain was unscathed. The rest of his body is torn to shreds, but somehow his brain was uh, intact and still fully functioning. So they uh, transplanted it into a robot. So uh, that was an interesting uh, origin there, too, on that character. What do you think? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the idea here is he's like, um, you know, the hero of a, a, a serial in that he's an adventurer, a hunter, a big game hunter, and, you know, a man who he, he seems like a, um, a an idle rich person who will do whatever he wants, you know. The, so there's <laughs> you know, a thrill in it. He's into it. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting because he's, you're not really sure of what type of guy he is, like whether he's working class or anything. But um, over the years, they really accentuated his every manness and everything, and sort of made him just a race car driver as they went on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but for this story, I mean, he's uh, he he can't fit into society, and do the things he loves after he becomes robot man, because you know he people don't want to compete against someone with an unfair advantage of the you know mechanical body that can uh, endure so well in the in sport and ice and cold and heat and things like that. Yeah. And then there's a reveal here too, when he's kind of going through, you know, he, he actually tells his own origin before uh, the chief even gets to that gets the chance. He's like, I'll tell my origin my way. And he tells it. And then, you know, he's going on about, you know, not fitting in, like you were saying. And all of a sudden, you know, the chief says, you know, I know Cliff because I was the surgeon and they're all like, Whoa, no way. And <laughs> got, I love, I love robot man's dialogue. It, it must be him. He operates from his wheelchair. That's why he seems short to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Love it. Oh, that was great. But, yeah, so he, the chief then, you know, gives him a little uh, tour around the uh, HQ here. But he's got this crazy, like, giant television set where it's set up to, you know, any, you know, news bulletins or flash bulletins that come through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it alerts him. So then there's one about a, a bomb. So. They have to go on, go right away. They're they're barely a team for you know two minutes, and they already have to go out on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things we we noted very early in the series was there were so many giant monitors that they could watch things <laughs> on it, and you know, we always associate the early Doom Patrol with giant TV sets. <laughs> mm, yeah, you're not kidding, and I'm thinking, man, like I guess that was something fantastic to put out there because it was something that didn't really exist, you know, in that age. So you know, to a reader, especially a kid, I guess they'd be like, whoa, look at the size of this TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah they so they go out on this mission to you know defuse this bomb and uh you know they get it done and then uh the, i forgot to mention too the story is like it's kind of put into three parts like you know how some comics used to do back in the days they would you know part one part two part three part four how many of our parts they would kind of you know make these segments um instead of just telling one huge long story. But I like that they used, you know, Elastigirl. She has to shrink down a tiny size to go inside the bomb. I like that, that panel where she actually goes into the bomb. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. Everyone gets to use their unique abilities. I mean, the chief comes up with the plan and, you know, Larry goes and gets the bomb. Um, Rita goes inside the bomb. Cliff uh, holds the bomb in case it blows up. So he's, body will protect everyone else i i mean it's pretty standard with cliff is most of his usefulness in missions is his ability to take damage like lose a limb and you know bits and pieces and things like that so yeah he does that all the time at the start oh that's great yeah (laughs) so yeah they kind of have like you know a little successful mission and they're like yeah we're all in let's do it you know count me in kind of thing and then chapter two and we see you know 
the chief and he's on a monitor screen and saying about a you know an alien ship that landed on earth and uh, our buddy the geriatric uh, general here is is watching he's spying on them and then uh, you know from there it's interesting it kind of you know they say well, we're going to go out on this you know mission and take you know see what's going on with this ship and this alien and stuff like that but again the whole time this general is like you know, spying on them and he's thinking about making his own plan here which i do like the character it's just i wish they could have made him not look so old and feeble <laughs> well yeah. i mean it's kind of a feature more than a bug in that you know part of his shtick is he's trying to um beat uh mortality basically so um yeah he he's actually um involved in the origin of the chief in a, a later story so um, mm. you know yeah but um he hasn't appeared in the tv show but they really have played with the idea of um all the members of the doom patrol in some way have um their experiments in basically beating uh, mortality so you know uh they've all sort of sacrificed something about the humanity but they will live a long long time because of that oh okay that's cool yeah so they finally do you know get to this crazy ship and then this like uh, it almost looks like a tank with a robot uh, stuck <laughs> to the top of it, uh, a cyclopean robot stuck to the top of it, and of course it's got all sorts of things like you know freeze rays, and uh, it can you know kind of it, it gives them a run for their money. But then you know the chief, you know, and they all say about covering this big giant eye so it can't see, and <laughs> negative man jumps on the eye. That panel is just hilarious looking to me. This big eye with this man jumping on it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rita gets super large and basically starts ripping uh, the top of the tank apart. And, yeah, I, I love the art on Rita. I mean, that's one of the the dynamics of Rita in action in the first um, early stories is amazing. Like, she's always, you know, holding entire jet planes and uh, boats and submarines and things like that. And she always looks fantastic doing that. Um, you know, great anatomy and form and, yeah. And of course, in this first story, they don't have any sort of uniform. They do um, get some uh, sort of unifying look later on. I mean, they're sort of wearing, Larry and Rita both wearing green and uh, Cliff is always, you know, copper colored. But um, yeah, later on, they do get matching uniforms for all of them. Yeah, and the artwork and then like the coloring, like you were just mentioning. Yeah, I think it looks great. Like Premiani, man, he did a really good job. I'd not very seen very much of his work i've heard i'd heard of him and seen some of his work but very sparse but i like it quite a bit like you said yeah elastigirl looks really good and the coloring is great too yeah uh premiani's he's really popular with the um comic book artists like i, I believe there's you know it's very hard to get original pages at a decent price now because uh yeah he was so beloved and uh, i remember talking to gabe hardman and he said it was Really, you know, he wished he'd bought them when he could afford them, and now that now they're all out of reach. Mm, yeah, that's that's. I've had that happen with some books. It's like, well, I'll get those now. Ah, I'll wait, and then you know as well as <laughs> I do, they go out of print, and then they skyrocket. <laughs> it's like, well, you should have bought that when you had the chance, because now it's it's out of reach. <laughs> mm. Mm, but yeah, so and they they eventually you know overtake the tank here. You know, we got a robot man. He uh, goes up there and he uh, he sticks his arm actually inside of it where this freeze ray is shooting out of and uh, it ends up you know, exploding. And that's a really cool panel too, when it explodes and he goes flying backwards. Wow. I really like that one too. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I'm, I'm thinking they think he's dead or something. It's like, he's a robot. He's just got a brain in there. So he's not going to be dead. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the third yeah. part, you know, they have to fight the general, like go one-on-one with the general too. And I really like that part. Yeah. 
yeah so it's it's all a scheme to get something inside this uh alien spacecraft and um while they're doing it the spacecraft is repairing itself and, but uh yeah they do come up with a sneaky plan to um beat the general yeah the general has this uh you know this polarization ray and He's taken down Robot Man with it, but <laughs> I like how hiding inside him was uh, Elastigirl. She's all in small size, and she pops out of his ear. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> yeah, it turns off the polarization ray. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this, I mean, if you like this story, you're going to get a lot of stories that are similar to this coming up. But I mean, one thing that really strikes me about um, Doom Patrol, uh, Silver Age Doom Patrol, is there's so much in the story. Like, there's lots of action, and it's, you know, it's much more, I guess, uh, it flows really well compared to, um, like, early Green Lanterns, where there's kind of, like, one or two things that happen there, and, you know, it's very um, methodical and a bit boring sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree with you there for sure. Yeah, yep. like you can see what's on the cover of most issues, and that's not the only thing going for the story when you read them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Especially Silver Age, there was a lot of, you know, here's the cover, and the cover pretty much explained everything that happens in the issue if you think about it. <laughs> this but, is yeah. what we're dealing with. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not with this book. You know, there was a lot going on here. Man, another one is that page twenty three. I think it is that top right panel where Elastigirl is shutting off the ray, and she's you know shrunk down. Oh, that is a really <laughs> cool panel too of that switch. <laughs> yeah yeah really like that one but yeah and then you know they eventually you know get the upper hand here and get the uh the device away here from the general and he uh jumps in the, he's in the plane and goes to take off and it just suddenly explodes and i guess that's the end of him but i don't know <laughs> is it really yeah <laughs> no he comes back <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think any no, nobody ever really dies in comics let's be honest here other than maybe one or two people that have pretty much stayed dead <laughs> But uh, yeah, and of course, on the last page, they all say, you know, like, yeah, this was great. Yeah, let's be a team. We're all in for this. So it's really cool. And, you know, it does these four headshots at the bottom of the uh, at the page, too, there. I really like that. You know, it's got them all there, like almost like mug shots, but it looks pretty cool. I love like mm. headshots, floating heads on covers and in books. I love that. Yeah. And of course, this was My Gross Adventure, but um, I think within six issues, they changed it to the Doom Patrol and uh, overtook the numbering. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, so it must have, they must have been selling, you know, well for them to take over the uh, take over the title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're visually a very appealing team and you can, you know, recognize them all by their silhouettes, basically. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is always a good design feature of these things. Oh, yeah. 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 No, yep, you're right on the money there. So yeah, this was this was a good issue. I mean, I liked it overall. And like I said, if you think of it in terms of you know early 1960s, especially targeted towards younger readers, kids would eat this up. They would love this comic. So they were, I'm sure this sold pretty well. You know, it was it was fun, and I can read it now, and it was a fun read too. But you know, you and I were uh, talking for a minute or two right before we started recording here about some of the similarities to other you know teams at the uh, onset that either appeared right before this or right after this, but it was kind of, you know, some common, common themes in these uh, team books of the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, similarities with the X-Men. You've got a a leader uh, who um, can't walk (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you've got a a team with the fantastic abilities. Um, And I think Doom Patrol beat the X-Men to publication just. (laughs) Yeah. uh, A couple of months, maybe. Yeah. A couple of months. Yeah. So uh, I and I think a lot of um, 
people involved from the day have said, nah, well, some people have made aspersions that there was a bit of ripping off and, you know, Stan was keeping an eye on the competition. But, uh, you know, a lot of people generally say, a lot of experts generally say, nah, it was just, you know, something in the water at the time and they came up with similar ideas. But, um, you know, from my experience with the team and reading through it and looking at uh, similar stories, I find they're more like a Fantastic Four. I get a Fantastic Four vibe from the team. You know, without the family aspect, but it is, you know, if you look at the powers, you've got um, someone who can basically fly and change his form, and that, you know, matches Johnny Storm pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. You've got a powerhouse in Cliff Steele, um, and then you've got the woman who has, um, you know, different um, sort of espionage abilities, and that matches, um, you know, Sue Storm pretty well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that doesn't really fit is the chief and... Uh, uh, Reed Richards, but uh, yeah, and uh, uh, it also is sort of the challenge of, of the unknown formula. We've got you know four adventures who go into situations and you know deal with it, and you know, and the Doom Patrol go everywhere. They go inside the Earth, they go into space, you know, they go to uh, far planets, and yeah, anywhere there's an adventure, they're up for it. <laughs> yeah, that's I think like you said, when things dropped like within a month or two of each other it's hard to say somebody was copying because things already have had to have been in production. You know what I mean? So unless you knew ahead of time what somebody else was doing, you weren't really able that closely, you know, that close in release time to be able to copy somebody, you know, somebody else. Yeah. But people love a conspiracy and, you know, (laughs) people who love Marvel love to put down DC and people love DC love to put down Marvel. I mean, but you get people like us who like both, so it's fine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's just for me, I got into DC so much later. A lot of this stuff is so brand new to me. And it's just like, I love talking about it just because it's so new to me, but there are other people that have been fans of it, you know, for 10, 20, 30 plus years. And that's kind of how, you know, it is with Herman and I, he's been reading DC since he was a kid, you know, and I never did when I was younger. So he, he's like, <laughs> he, he loves my enthusiasm. when We talk about some DC stuff because uh, it's like all brand new to me and stuff, but I'm just, just learning and, <laughs> All that stuff. But yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I like this one a lot. But the characters and the art, I mean, it was really a fun book. And, you know, I was really, you know, like I said earlier, shocked to see the whole, you know, I was like, oh, Bob Haney had something to do with this. I didn't even realize he was, you know, in the offices, you know, at D.C. at this point, you know, this early on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure of the timing of it all. But, yeah, that's the story. Yeah. Most of the time when I think of Haney, it's like late 60s and early 70s that's when he <laughs> really really went crazy i don't want to say he went off the rails but he really that's when his stuff really got wild he wasn't one for continuity or you know laws of physics no. was he <laughs> <laughs> no 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 he didn't care if you know superman died in a comic two months ago he was like here's superman he didn't give a crap <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you know an editor's nightmare if you think about it but you know i think it's there was so many different universes and stuff like that before the uh, crisis, you know, you could explain it all the way easily, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, definitely. I'm going to, you know, keep diving in here to the, you know, Doom Patrol and go on until it gets its own title and just definitely check it out because it's uh, it was a lot of fun. And like I said, it's a lot of similarities to other books I like from the time, too, as well. So, yeah, this was a blast uh, discovering these guys. So so if anybody isn't aware, Paul has a lot of stuff going on waiting for Doom. DCOCD, dial F, you know, you've got a lot going on. So uh, why don't you talk about some of that stuff about, especially, you know, waiting for doom, like uh, especially the television show. I think that's what it's season three now. Season three. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, uh, back in 2014, I got together with a, a guy called Mike, uh, who I met on Twitter, and um, he, he's a fellow Australian, but we don't live anywhere near each other. It took us a couple of years before we even met in person. Uh, but we both wanted to talk about the Doom Patrol um, on a podcast, and you know, lots of people starting podcasts, but no one was talking about the Doom Patrol at the time. And um, we called it Waiting for Doom because there was no Doom Patrol comic at the time. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, we didn't know it would be such an adventure in that, you know, the Doom Patrol comic has come back twice in the time we've been um, podcasting and it's gone away again. Uh, so Waiting for Doom still holds as a title. Um, <laughs> and a TV show's come along. So, you know, that was very unexpected and sort of we were in the, the right place at the right time to talk about that. Uh, at the moment, we have pretty much covered every single comic to do with the Doom Patrol that's come out. Um, so we've done all the runs and we didn't do them. We didn't do an index show in order. We sort of jumped around. So we would do like, um, you know, a classic, uh, Silver Age, uh, comic, uh, episode. And then we would do Morrison run from the eighties. And that's one of the things about the show was it had many, many tones and textures. So, you know, when Grant Morrison got involved in, I think 89, it was a very, um, avant-garde weird, um, comic and it's 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 been sort of psychological and trippy and it's been pretty groundbreaking um so as far as a series to cover you get you can get a lot of textures you can get straight superhero stuff from the early 80s when paul kupperberg was involved or you can get you know um stuff with you know trans people in comics which were you know before anyone else was doing trans people in comics and things like that so um yeah, there's heaps of stuff there to cover. But it was interesting because the TV show basically uh, focused on some something that sort of came out occasionally in the comic that these people have been through a lot of trauma and they use that to drive the series. So um, the TV show, it's very, very low on superheroes, uh, superheroics. So, you know, they're not really saving the world from typical things. They are, you know, saving the world from weirdness but most of the time they're dealing with their own baggage um so and they've brought in cyborg uh, as a character from the teen titans which was interesting um, oh, wow. not someone immediately associated with the doom patrol but you know all of them have their massive issues basically with um body trauma um body dysmorphia um a lot of depression and things like that there's a character called crazy jane who uh, basically has been through childhood trauma and splintered into multiple personalities. And all of those personalities have their own superpower. <laughs> so, wow. So she can dial up a different uh, personality at, uh, when required. And uh, But uh, yeah, they're all sort of, they live in, uh, I wouldn't call it harmony, but they all live inside her in a, in a area that's sort of um, imagined as the underground of a railway. So it's like different stations for each um, personality and things like that. Um, yeah. But uh, the show gets to play with, you know, horror um, and fantasy and trippiness and um, goofiness. So, you know, they do a bit of Silver Age goofiness, like uh, <laughs> the brain and Monsieur Mella. Uh, the brain is a um, an evil scientist who's a brain inside a little robot pedestal. <laughs> and his um his basic companion is a um gorilla a french gorilla who can talk um, <laughs> yeah. that's great it's a bit of a revolutionary like he wears a red beret and a, a bandolier of uh, bullets <laughs> so 
Yeah, but um, there's been some very funny uh, comics over the years. Um, there's uh, one about Beard Hunter, who basically, he's like the Punisher, except he hates people with beards. Um, instead of <laughs> That's great. Instead of criminals, he wants to take down people with beards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things like that. So there were some really fun uh, stories. And I think that's what attracted me to the Doom Patrol as, as far as something to cover was there was so much texture to it. Like it, it wasn't just one thing for its entire um, run. So, But once again, we are waiting for the comic to come back. I mean, uh, the show is on season three, but there's no comic in sight. So uh, we're hmm. hoping that they're working on it in the background and it'll be someone interesting. So, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's what the Doom Patrol is like for us. <laughs> yeah, you would think with the television show going into a third season, it's doing pretty good. So why not have a comic out there at the same time, too? I wonder if they are working on something behind the scenes. They just didn't announce it yet, maybe. Yeah, well, they, I mean, the last two runs have been uh, with Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. Um, he's oh, a, right. Uh, yeah, he, he's done comics as well, like, and most notably the Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. But um, I think one of the problems with him is his ability to get things out on time. So, um, But it was uh, the Doom Patrol comic with him that discovered sort of Nick Derrington and put him on the forefront now. So he's you know a very popular in-demand artist to... Uh, sort of showcase his stuff on Doom Patrol mostly. But yeah, I'm not sure which way they go. I mean, uh, part of me hopes that we'll get another sort of style of Doom Patrol now. I mean, I have a real fondness for these old stories, but I'd like to see something that sort of um, does a modern take on them. So I'd really love to see like a Doom Patrol anthology with them. Um... Sorry, it's raining and storming now. <laughs> oh boy, look out. <laughs> I, yeah. That Morrison stuff sounds good to me because he's a writer that he'll do some wild stuff. He doesn't care. He'll take some chances. And I, I do, you know, I, I do like that about him. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that he did was uh, have the characters crusade against uh, conformity. So, uh, you know, they didn't, they're all about people being able to be themselves. And, you know, which is, you know, oh, quite cool. a progressive idea in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I'm pretty sure Herm's a big fan of that one. I think he's yep. talked to me about that one before and said it was a good one to check out. But yeah, Morrison's a wild dude, man. I like him. <laughs> I'd like to meet him. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, well, I well, met him once. So. <laughs> oh, did you? Cool. Yeah, he did a, a signing with uh, Jared Way at the uh, Sydney Opera House. So, Oh, wow. That was pretty cool. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, hey, you better watch it. You know, if there's some uh, character running around offing people with beards, you're going to be at the top of that list. (laughs) (laughs) So what's going on with uh, your other podcast, too? Um, You said you said about waiting for doom. You said you're you know talking about the show because it's on season three. What else is going on? Yeah, well, I did a show called um, DC OCD, which was basically uh, I wanted to look at every single DC event um, from Crisis on Infinite Earths upward. Um, so, but do an episode on each one. So not, you know, super deep dives, but um, mm-hmm. I usually, you know, bring Mike along, my um, podcasting partner from Waiting for Doom, and we'd have different guests on. And part of the joy of that was we would uh, basically rate the event. So, but we would do it on a, a how good was the story? How good was the art? Um, how was the impact and legacy of it? And how just spectacular was it? We call it eventiness. So, so we did uh, <laughs> We did a whole run of that um, podcast and rated uh, about 52 events in order. 
Um, and basically, on if you go to Waiting for Doom, our website, you've got a link to all the episodes, and you can see all the events ranked in order on our. Oh, we've got the the ladder of events, so you know, find out which is the number one ranked event for the most the best art story and how spectacular it is. Plus, I mean, because of, we factor in legacy and impact, you can see which events mattered in the long run and which ones, you know, have been forgotten or ignored. So, you know, mm-hmm. some of them have become, you know, the basis of uh, TV show crossovers. Some of them have fed into movies and things like that. So, but I mean, we do love the comics. So, you know, what matters in the comics is probably what's most important to us. But uh, yeah, because we were doing impact and legacy at some point we just couldn't we got too close to the present so we couldn't cover every event because it was too early to tell what the impact and legacy of things was so there's uh, 52 great episodes there you can go through and listen to them all so um it, it's got everything it's got um you know death of superman um nightfall infinite crisis blackest night you know all those events are covered plus some really small ones which people probably didn't even know about that came out at the time so we have a lot of fun on that it's a you know it's a quite a bouncy show it's not it's not deep or heavy and it's quite a lot of fun um but it also the joy was to get lots of different people on and hear their opinions on things. Particularly if I didn't like an event, I'll try to find someone who really liked it. So just so I could have some, uh, you know, different viewpoints on it all. And yeah, that was really satisfying, really rewarding. But uh, we're on hiatus at the moment, but we will be coming back when enough time has passed that we can cover things like death metal <laughs> and doomsday clock. So we're probably getting closer. So uh, probably in about a year's time, we'll get back to those. Oh, cool. Yeah. Doomsday Clock. I remember that taking forever to come out. Is is it even finished at this point? <laughs> it is finished. Yes. <laughs> so well, what about Dial F for Flanger? What about that? Yeah, well, I better talk about the Gary show, which is the other show we do, which oh, right. is um, yep. Mike and I would just talk about whatever we wanted. So, um, you know, we had an urge to podcast, but we didn't like doing any prep. Uh, the older I get, the lazier I get. So it was good just to <laughs> chat. Um, and particularly we were living in interesting times, you know, with COVID and everything going on and, you know, personal mm-hmm. stuff in my life. It was good to have somewhere just to talk about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but um, Mike's been getting busier. So I started another show called Dial F for Flanger, which was just my opportunity to talk to people about whatever they wanted to talk to. You know, usually comics related, but, you know, I've done an episode on uh, Transformers. Transformers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was um, a good one. But, you know, just... Just finding an interesting person and finding an interesting thing to talk about. Like um, I had the one of the writers of Wonder Woman on, Michael Conrad, and you know, basically, I've watched him on uh, Twitter go from someone who was, you know, n- not on anyone's radar, um, just a regular person, to now being a writer of Wonder Woman. I just wanted to talk to him about how that affected his uh, interactions and uh, you know, the people coming after him and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a bit yeah, we. Um, I tell you what, social media is great on one hand to meet people and stuff like that, but you know how it is on another hand. If you say something to piss the wrong person off, you have this army of people giving, <laughs> giving yeah. you crap. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, and I think it's better the more anonymous you are. Like, I think the mm-hmm. more famous you are, the the more unpleasant it is because people just want to, yeah. you know, come at you about everything. And you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of targeting. But you know, I find it quite a pleasant thing because I'm basically a nobody who has and I've got a nice <laughs> circle of people on Twitter, uh, yourself included. Um, you know, whereas, you know, I'm mostly just there to say dumb things or fun things. So <laughs> Yep, I'm right there with you, buddy. It's <laughs> I would not want to be I would not have social media if I was a celebrity or athlete or something like that. No way. I would not even have it. There's too much, too much ugly out there aimed usually at people that are famous. No, thanks. 
Yeah, I'd probably have a fake account just so uh, you know people <laughs> wouldn't know it was me, but I could you know <laughs> yeah just wander <laughs> around and look at things. Um, yeah, but yeah, dial F for Flanger. It, it's, yeah, it's basically a chat show. Um, Flanger is my nickname, and um, I don't know why it's called Dial F for Flanger. It just turned out that way. So. <laughs> yeah that's a, like you said it's fun to have an outlet just to talk about whatever you feel like talking about at the time that's a good thing too yeah and you know it, i've been very lucky to have very interesting guests so if you haven't heard the one with karina becco she's amazing you've got to hear that one. Oh yeah isn't she um her and uh what's his name you mentioned earlier i thought oh, gay partners yeah they were yeah. together they're not together now but um oh yeah, okay they, uh both comic creators. She's a writer. He's an artist. Um, they did a few series together, but uh, yeah, she has a lot going on. <laughs> it's really interesting. I mean, she worked as she was a zookeeper at the Playboy Mansion, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually met the two of them at uh, I think a New York Comic Con, maybe about eight or nine years ago. I think at this uh, point, it's been quite a while. And oh, they were great. They were the yeah. two nicest people I probably well. The two of them and George Perez were probably the nicest people I, I ever met at a show. They were so oh, nice. wow. Oh, yeah. I can't believe how nice they were. Super yeah. nice. I'm really jealous. I mean, uh, that's one of the things. As an Australian, uh, American comic shows are so good. I've been to a couple, um, and, yeah, I, I make plans. to. I'm trying to get to Heroes Con in 2023 again. So, yeah, mm. I, I love American comic shows. They're so much better than Australian ones. <laughs> <laughs> Are they just much more low-key for you over there? Not as many guests and things? Yeah, not as many guests. Um, quite a pop culture focus. And, you know, oh, like, okay. you're lucky there'll be, like, one or two big names and a few local people, and, you know, that's about it. But, uh yeah, like American ones, it's, you know, kid in a candy store. I don't know where to look or where to go first. There's so <laughs> many things to do and, you know, so many people to see, autographs. And the shopping is, you know, magnificent. Whereas in Australia, you know, I sort of feel like sometimes I've seen every single comic that's available for sale in Australia and I've got the ones I want already. <laughs> and, yeah, but um, over in America, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's the uh, the land of the uh, magnificent selection of comics. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, in New York, as long as you can stand the crowds, that's a great show. Like the, the last time I went, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm probably not going to go to this one for a long time just because the crowd was just so crazy. Like you literally have to like wade through people like, you know, <laughs> like you're the sea of people and you have to like kind of almost like be a little rude and push your way through just to get from one side of an area to another. I'm just like, Oh man, I do not really like that crowd. Like huge crowds like that are not really my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're not. Oh, well, I, <laughs> I envy you having the ability to go to them. Yeah. It's going to be great when everything's back to normal, isn't it? Oh if yeah. It'll it, it, be back to normal. <laughs> yeah. We can always hope. I mean, some of the midsize shows like Baltimore is really good. And that one's very comic book focused, like kind of like heroes con, you know, it's, it's yeah. more just focused on comics and not really the other pop culture stuff. So it's a little bit more low key, but that one's starting to get a little bit bigger too. And then, I went to C2E2 in Chicago um, a few years ago, too, and that was pretty good. That was, you know, getting a little pop culture-y, but it, it was yeah. still, you know, a lot of comic book people, and it wasn't so packed that you couldn't move around either. So that one was decent. Yeah, and they, even your small cons are, like, five times bigger than Australian ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and honestly, a lot of the small ones are the only ones I go to or had gone to, like, before COVID, just because they were so much more low-key and you found better deals because there were just so many more comic book vendors versus, you know, people selling other related stuff. 
Yeah, and I, I find everyone is so welcoming because I'm an Australian, and I, you know, it's like, oh, you came all this way, and you know, it's a really good icebreaker. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, I bet. But all right, well, Paul. So if anybody uh, wants to uh, follow you around online, where can they find you? Um, well, the website waitingfordoom.com has links to all our podcasts. So if you want to check that out, waitingfordoom.com, pretty easy. Um, and I'm on Twitter at reading uh, underscore H-I-X, uh, Hicks, reading underscore Hicks. So that's uh, where you can find me. Um, and I keep it light and pretty silly on Twitter. So, uh, you know, I'll usually talk about what I've been reading and make fun of things and, uh, yeah, good natured and, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I love Twitter and I love the friends I've made through Twitter and through the podcast. And, you know, it's great to be part of this community. It's, it's you know, we're all very nice people, I find, in this podcasting and comics world. Yeah, this has been uh, great, you know, especially in the last probably, I would say, six or seven years for sure for me to branch out and meet, all, you know, a lot of cool people like, you know, Herm and you and, you know, Ryan, we mentioned earlier, Ryan Daly and, you know, the fire and water guys and stuff like that. A lot of great, great people on there. It's, it's been, uh, I've, I've had a lot of uh, good luck, uh, good fortune, I guess you could say with uh, Twitter as uh, some people don't, but I have, and like you said, we have a great little, you know, circle of people that uh, we interact very well together and nice and respectfully and everything. It's great. Even when we're, you know, like, you know, ribbing each other and busting on each other <laughs> a little bit, we still have a really good time there. Yeah, I love seeing the omnibuses you're buying at the moment. So. Oh my gosh, yeah, they were such good deals. I, I just, I, you can't pass them up. I think I just got the Swamp Thing one for like sixty bucks. How can you beat oh, that? Oh wow! Yeah, sixty dollars <laughs> for an omnibus. It was like, okay, I'm getting that. I think the next one I'm going to get is Dead Man. I think I can get that for fifty nine dollars right now, fifty five dollars, something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, can't can't beat it. Can't beat it. You know. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Paul. I really appreciate this, and thanks for uh, you know. Yeah, helping me out here, uh, educating me on Doom Patrol, just because it was such a, a blank spot for me, and I felt like it was something I really needed to kind of check out and get into, and I definitely want to end up checking, checking out the TV show, too. I think I can find that. It's that's on, is that CW that's on, or? Uh, I think it's on HBO Max now. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might yeah, be able so to stream that. that but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we get it through one of our local ones, but it's it's owned by Rupert Murdoch, so I'd, I'd rather get it another way sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you, but yeah, there's probably a streaming service I can find that on, like you said, either HBO or Hulu or somebody. They probably have that on, because I know for a while there was a deal there where they had stuff like that. Well, yeah, I mean, you could buy a DVD even. I mean, the first two are out on uh, home video, so. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And you know what, honestly, they might be uh, cheaper than getting onto a streaming service these days because those have been going up in price too <laughs> i think covid really you know, everybody was at home it was like hey let's start streaming so streaming pretty much exploded yeah mm. all right well i'm gonna let you go here and uh, again once again uh, thank you for coming on paul i really appreciate it so uh good luck to you with everything you got going on everybody needs to check out you say waitingfordoom.com and reading underscore hicks for sure thanks billy all right, buddy. Thanks for coming on, and I'll be back in a minute to wrap things up. Hey, Mike, have you heard about my new podcast? Oh, what's that? Oh, it's where you talk to people on your computer and then put it out on the internet. Yeah, yes, I know what a podcast is, Paul, but, but what's the show you're doing? Yeah, I'm going to talk to people on my computer and then put it out on the internet. 
and uh, what's this called? Uh, since it's a chat show and I really want to talk to interesting people about interesting things, I thought I'd call it something that was, you know, self-explanatory, like Dial F for Flanger. Right. Dial F for Flanger. Cool. I, I look forward to my guest spot. When are you going to have me on? Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, I'll get back. Wow. Well, if you'd like to hear Paul chatting away on this Dial F for Flanger show, you can find it on the Waiting for Doom Network. Okay, everybody, that wraps it up on our episode of the show. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank Paul Hicks for coming on the show. Definitely check out uh, his work online. You know, his uh, Waiting for Doom podcast with Mike and DCOCD, all the stuff he has going on, and definitely give him a follow on Twitter, you know, uh, at reading underscore Hicks. Uh, real good guy, good follow. Likes to have a good time online, so definitely check him out there. Uh, I think next week is going to be the wrap-up for November, and it's going to be a war comic for hashtag war comics month, so look for that one coming next week. All right, everybody, take care.